Before I begin, I'd like to dedicate this shear. Uh, this year should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Ruvain. Excuse me, for the families of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshai Ben Yisrael Binyamin Wolf Ben Tzvihesh and Baruch Ben Binyamin Wolf. And it should be a tremendous chus for the Nishamas. <clears throat> what, I, what I'd like to talk about I mean, obviously, the uh, one of the main cons- the, the uh, events happening today uh, is the war that's going on in the Middle East. So I, th- I thought that in many ways, what is lacking is a global view of what is happening, rather than a specific view, understanding of specific of the event. You know, because it really encompasses many things. And what I'm going to try to do is bring out three ideas or three events. One is the what's happening in America, uh, because what, uh, we, we take a look and we can't believe the enormous uh, deterioration and disruption of America. Uh, the second thing is the war, obviously, in Israel, uh, what is happening there and their war with Hamas. And the third thing is the what is the likelihood of what's going to happen in Israel? It was to take a look at the divine agenda of what is happening now. And I want to present it in terms of a global view. And that'll really bring you up to speed. <clears throat> First of all, what's important is just as a summary, because I don't want to really go into all the details. I'm sure everybody knows, and because everybody hears the news or reads the news or whatever, but <clears throat> we are watching really Biden, Blinken, Sullivan, and the rest of the administration, uh, and also, of course, the State Department, uh, which is the purview of Blinken, and the Democratic Party that basically America is stabbing Israel in the back. I mean, that's obviously what seems to be happening. But in in, in three distinct ways, even though, of course, they're trying to fool everybody, but that's really what's happening. And as time goes on, it's going to get worse, much worse. What is happening? The first thing is that Israel has to conduct a war. I mean, we're talking here about a brutal enemy that wants to kill every Jew. And they're not interested in territory. It's not like they're saying, well, we want Israel. They're not interested in Israel. They want to kill every single Jew. That's the objective, to kill the Jews, to exterminate them, just like Hitler wanted to do in World War II. Yet, what America seems to be doing is tying the hands of Israel by laying down all kinds of conditions. Well, we're not going to give you Uh, you know, the armaments, unless you follow our policy, you can't do this, you can't invade the south of Gaza, all kinds of things. They're telling Israel what to do, how to conduct a war. I mean, Israel has had more wars than America has had in this century. When you think about that, of course they know how to conduct a war. But what uh, what Biden is trying to do is restrain Israel from winning the war. It's hard to believe, because Israel is a tremendous ally. It's probably the closest ally 
the most loyal ally that America ever had. You see, because Israel always, almost always puts their self-interest, right, at the, at the behest of America's self-interest. So how could they even do this? They would never do this to any other country. So not only that, but they actually want Israel, right, to worry, forget about their existence, because Hamas, Hamas wants to kill them all. They're worried about humanitarian aid. Now, it's true that it's tragic, you know, that people are dying. But I don't know if the latest statistic that I heard is 80% of the Palestinians agree with what happened on October 7th. They agree. They're okay with it. On the contrary, you know. <clears throat> and uh, there was, they even I heard an interview where somebody was interviewing a Palestinian woman and they said, well, how do you feel about being a human shield for Hamas? <clears throat> So she said, well, I'm proud to give my life for Hamas. Uh, you know, so we can't believe what's happening, yet they seem to be okay with it. And on the contrary, proud. So 80% and we're worried about humanitarian aid? What is wrong with, uh, you know, uh, with the world? Well, we know it's wrong. Because that's their way of expressing anti-Semitism. So that's a second insanity. You know, like I say, even if you want to have a humanitarian aid, how could you do this? You're more worried about the humanitarian aid to Palestinians that are in concert with the Hamas? You're more worried about them than the existence of Israel? And I want to tell you something very interesting. <clears throat> I don't know if you thought about it. What is that? And that is that the greatest humanitarian aid that you could do for Israel right? Forget about Palestine. For Israel, the greatest humanitarian aid you could do for them is to kill Hamas because Hamas wants to kill Israel. So, doesn't that qualify for humanitarian aid? It's interesting. It's ironic, actually, when you think about it. <clears throat> and the third thing that America wants to do, which is really insane, completely irrational, is they want a two-state solution. Two-state with who? With what? It's incredible. There's nobody to make a two-state. Did you ever see anybody clapping with one hand? Well, that's the same thing that America wants. Well, we want you to make a two-state solution with one side that wants to kill you. They're not interested. Uh, it's astounding to realize what is Hamas really interested in? What does it mean they want to kill every Jew? Well, that's a tremendously short-sighted way of understanding something. Do you know what Hamas really wants? They want a caliphate. That's what they want. They want to restore the Arab dominance over the entire world, including America. America's next. So therefore, they don't want Israel. They're not interested in two states. They need to obliterate Israel so they can create a caliphate. You see. So what does that have to do with a two-state solution? And besides, like I said, there's nobody to uh, make a state with. So what in the world is Blinken thinking or Biden? It's almost like you can't believe how stupid they are. Or they're irrational. Any case, that's my, you know, my short take on, on what's happening. We are watching the actual betrayal of probably the most loyal ally that America has. You see, 
Now, I mentioned a while back why. You don't realize something, and I mentioned this why. What the Bershom is about to do is before he comes down with Midas Adin, in other words, with justice, he's going to have a Bureau event, an event that clarifies who is on the side of righteousness and justice, who's on the side of God's people, therefore who's on the side of God. That's called a Bureau, a clarification device, you see, before it comes down, and then he's going to come down and exercise judgment. That's exactly what he did in Egypt. I'm not going to repeat myself. It's one of the, uh, I think, in part two of the, of the previous year about the war. But that's what this is about. Does America realize, the government and so on, how much they're failing and what the repercussions of what's going to happen to them when God finally says enough is enough? I'm now going to exercise my role as a judge? They don't. They have no concept of what's about to happen to them. Any case, <clears throat> so far this is what we see. And that's the explanation. That, I mean, you take a look at the pro-Palestinian demonstrations and support that's going on. I mean, all over the United States, in Europe, or forget about the colleges, certainly, as I mentioned, very ominous, like I said. <clears throat> Okay, so what I want to do is somehow provide a global understanding of what it is. But in order to do that, you need to know certain hashkofa. You know, you need to know some aspect of the divine plan in order to have a grasp of this. Now, what I'm going to tell you is not generally known, but it's critical to understand, you see. And it will also tell you a lot about the world. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to do is define man. What is man? A definition. So philosophy defines man as a rational animal. What does that mean? Because we're really what's called sentient beings. We are sentient. means we have five senses. Whatever. So we are organisms, right, that have consciousness, and we have five senses. But man has something above the animals. What is that? He has consciousness. And his consciousness is very, very sophisticated. But he's defined, he's rational, which means he could think. And he has consciousness, but he could think. That's the key of rationality. But he's an animal. He shares the same physical body in that sense, as an animal, or whatever, you see. So that's his definition. If you take a look, and this is very important, if you take a look, what are the possible behavioral manifestations or levels of man? What is it, you see? And this is very enlightening in terms of what is the job of the Jew, and what is the job of a goy? which itself is very elusive, you see. And I've spoken about this very extensively. But I'm going to put it to in a much more uh, precise way. <clears throat> okay. So, the, the uh, first behavioral level of a person, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to start, is to be like an animal. But, you know, he uses his mind in the service 
of what? Of being an animal, which is basically to supply or to service himself, his survival, and so on. That's what an animal does. An animal is not interested in killing. He's interested in eating because he's interested in surviving. That's why animals do what they do. It's all about survival. You see? So if a person acts like an animal, right, that's one possibility. In other words, he uses his mind for survival purposes and he's not interested in what he does to other people. That's an animalistic behavior. We would call that he's a barbarian. It's a barbarian. A lower level than that, believe it or not, you could actually be lower than an animal, right? And that is what? That is what's called a sub-animal. It's a savage. You see, it's worse than an animal. What does that mean? Because it's one thing to kill somebody. It's another thing to kill somebody in a way that's not necessary. Torture. Unbelievable cruelty. You see, we want to kill somebody, there are ways to kill them, and that's it. You see, but there are people that are unbelievably cruel. And what they do is just beyond belief. Uh, cruel and, 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 uh, and, and they perpetrate crimes that it's very hard to get your mind around. That's what happened on October 7th. I would not call them animals. They're sub-animal. Why? Because an animal will kill to do its job and to survive. What these guys did on October 7th, 1,200 people, they not merely killed, they killed them in an incredibly cruel way that wasn't necessary. And they were proud of that. Animals don't do that. Animals are not cruel. They just want to survive. But they're not interested if you die or not. What the Arabs did those Hamas Arabs, is they are sub-animals. So don't disgrace animals by calling them animals. What they did is not, forget about being human. It's not even an animal. Again, you have to understand the distinction here. So the worst level is sub-animal. The next level above that is to be an animal. It's to use your mind to survive and in no way regard anything you do to anybody else. It's me first and me only. <clears throat> uh, the next level, which is the third level, right, is not to be an animal, it's to be human. To be human means to be civil, civilized. You see? And what does that mean, to be civilized? It means to consider other people. You know, to consider who they are, to be moral, to be ethical. That's the distinct nature of human beings. You see? The concept of uh, ethics and morality, to be kind to somebody else, right? That's being human. Forget about religion. It's simply using your exercising your ability to understand that there's a higher way of living, of behaving. So that's being human, or I would call it to be civilized, you see? That's the third level of behavior. And that means to be human, to be civil. Then the fourth level of behavior, which is higher, is not only to be human, but also to be God-fearing, which means to believe in a God and to fear Him, to recognize His existence, that in a certain sense, He holds us accountable. You see, 
And I'm not talking about serving God. I'm not talking about worshiping God. I'm merely talking about being cognizant that there is a deity, you see, who judges. That's called being God-fearing, and that's a higher level, you see. And what that is called is righteousness, you see. To be God-fearing and to be civil, you are righteous. I'm not talking about religion here. You are human and righteous. And in a certain sense, that is the minimal ideal of a human. In fact, what that really is, if you think about that, is called the Sheva Mitzvahs. That's really what the Sheva Mitzvahs is, right? The seven mitzvahs, the seven Noahide laws. You see, as, as we will understand, that to, to observe the Sheva Mitzvahs, what are they? Well, it's Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalad, Hei, Vav, Zayin. That's how you can remember them. Aleph is Eva Benachai. You want to eat an animal? Kill it. Don't cut off a limb while it's alive and then eat the limb. Why? Because Eva Benachai is an expression of enormous cruelty. That's what it is. You see? You don't cut off an animal's limb and then eat it while the animal is alive. You kill the animal. You see? So that's the concept of Eva Benachai. That's one. And that's a consideration for an other being. The second one is Beis, Bircha. Beis is Brocha. You can't curse God. Third Noachite commandment is Gimel, or Gezela. Do not steal. That's the whole concept of respecting possessions of somebody else. Obviously, that's a cardinal principle in the seven laws of Noach. That's Gimel. Three. Four is din. You must have a system of judgment, right? Where you are held accountable and you have judgment if somebody does something wrong. You see? So that's dalad called dinam. <clears throat> and then you have what's called <coughs> hey, hariga. You cannot murder. Vav is avaydizora. You cannot worship idols. And zayin is znus. You cannot commit immoral acts you know, uh, moral acts in terms of adultery or, uh, or uh, pornographic ideas or whatever. That's it. Those are the seven laws of Noah. And if you'll notice, if you think about them, they involve two ideas. You see? The idea uh, involve being kind to others, judging others, possessions, no killing, right? No promiscuity and so on. And they involve, right, believing in God, right? So that was level three and level four <clears throat> of human behavior. And that is the Sheva Mitzvahs. That's really what they are. God wants everybody, as we will see, to be righteous. We're not talking about serving Him. And then, of course, there's level five, which is the highest, and that is to be godly, Right? That's where you introduce the whole concept of spirituality. And the concept of spirituality is to be cognizant of a spiritual domain that you also have a soul uh, besides physical. And therefore, you have to believe in God and worship Him. It means comply with His commandments. That's level five. And that's the highest level of all. You see... <clears throat> Now we ask ourselves, well, on this level, or rather scale of five behaviors, 
Where did you stand? And the answer is five, godly. In order to be godly, you must observe the Torah. Because the Torah is the instrument, and that's really what it is, to make you godly. Interesting. Now you understand what level the Jew has to be on and how to get there. God says, right, Kedoshim ti you, you be holy. The Jew has to be godly or holy. How? By observing the Torah. That's his behavioral expectancy, you see. Now, we now understand the different five different levels of human behavior and where the Jew stands. Where does the world stand? And that's what I want to mention, okay? So for that, you have to go back into history at the time of Odom. <clears throat> I once gave a shir about this a long time ago, that the original intent of God was not that the Jew should do the tikkun. Now the tikkun means that the, 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 uh, God wants to come back into a universe that he removed himself from. And I went into a great, uh, all this shun before. He wants to come back. And the way he wants to do it is you have to comply with his commandments, which means measure for measure. If you believe in him by complying with his commandments, guess what? He will come back. That's really what it's all about. That's why uh, I, I'm not going to go into it, obviously, but every mitzvah is nothing more than a device to bring God back into the universe. And that is called tikkun. So God wants the tikkun. He wants to come back. You see? Who's going to do that? Who's the, what's called the masakim? And the answer is Adam Arishim. That's who God originally intended. Not the Jews. Mankind. Adam. Adam was not Jewish. You see? And, and the uh, concept of somebody who does that, the masakim, he is called Yisrael. Right. Yisrael is a function. <clears throat> It is a function of a human that does the tikkun. However, mankind tried for 2,000 years and failed. <clears throat> you see? Now you can ask yourself, okay, what level did mankind fall to of the five levels of behavior that I mentioned? You see? So Adam failed. Okay. But we come to the generation of Noah, right? They were stealing all over the place. They were doing things which are level, Right? They are level four. They were animals. It was just incredible. I'm not going to go through what they did, but you, what kind of society was that? There was no civilization. And level four means you choose to be an animal, and that's not even a civilization. For civilization, you need at least level three and maybe level two, but certainly three. And they were at level four. They were animals. You see, in terms of their deviant, sexual deviant behavior, which I'm not going to go into, which I have mentioned, and their entire concept of uh, civilization. What kind of civilization is this? Hamas. Hamas, right? Except I, they, they're even lower. They're sub-animal. <clears throat> but in any case, so God destroyed them. Then we come to, that was uh, uh, the generation of Noah, and then we have the generation, of course, of the Tower of Babel. And they wanted to kill God. You see, so even though they were civilized, but that concept, I want to kill God, what kind of rebelliousness is that? In any case, God decided to do the tikkun process. Who would do it? 
he would give it to uh, Avram Avinu. And that is the concept where the Jew now did the role of Yisrael and it went to Avram and his descendants. Which is, when you think about that, fascinating. But the, the question is, wait a minute. Everything that exists in this world has a purpose. God didn't make anything frivolous. Nothing. If it doesn't have a purpose, it doesn't exist. Now, we can ask the question, okay, so why are there 300,000 species of beetles? You mean if one species didn't exist, right? Or rather, didn't have a function, it wouldn't exist? And the answer is it wouldn't. Now, we have no idea. God has never revealed to us the incredible totality of living things that he created and why they're necessary. We don't know. And this kind of information or knowledge is almost infinite. But we do know that everything has a tachlis, has a purpose. You see? Uh, so here comes a monumental problem. If God removed the nations of the world, and there are 70, by the way, then what purpose does a guy have? This is the problem. Because the original purpose of mankind is to do the tikkun. And that was Adam and his kind of Hevel, and everybody after him for 2,000 years. It was only by Avram Avinu that he took it away from mankind, the 70 nations, and he gave it to Avram Avinu. He took over the job of tikkun of the 70 nations. So then the question is, wait a minute, then what's the tachlis of a goy? Because he can't do the tikkun, you see. It's an interesting concept. What is the tachlis of a goy? And I will tell you, which is very important. Remember when I said that there are five levels? The level five, which is the highest, is to be holy, to be godly. That's the tikkun, you see. If you are holy and godly, if you are into dvekus, if you love God, not only love God, but if you do His commandments, what He said you should do, right, uh, then that's the way to do the tikkun. So what God did is interesting. He said, I'm going to give a goy, a goy is, of course, a non-Jew, a new purpose. But it coincides or it fits together with the concept of godliness. But it's not as lofty. What is that? I'm going to give him the, the concept that he has to be righteous. Right? He doesn't have to do godliness. He doesn't have to be holy. He doesn't have to bring me back. But what he does have to be is righteous. And if you remember that's level three, and level four, he has to be able to be civil, civilized, ethics and moral, and he has to believe in me, right? So he doesn't have to be, do the commandments, but he does have to be righteous. In other words, he does have to observe the seven Nolkite laws. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so that's the new purpose of a goy. Well, really, every goy, every non-Jew has to be righteous. That's the minimal that God wants, right? He's not interested in you be an animal and a sub-animal. Uh, so minimally, you have to be righteous. You see? What's interesting in the generation of Noah, they were not righteous. 
They were not even civilized. That's why he destroyed them. You see. So we now understand that Goyim have a new concept. They don't have to be godly. That's not their job. But they do have to be righteous. And I want to tell you something. If they are righteous, they will receive the future world. Right? Just like a Jew will receive the future world, but on a much higher level because he brought back God to the world, right? A goyim have to be righteous, to be, right? In order to have the future world, Ilam Habo. Yes. Okay, it's true that the Ilam Habo will be a me'ain or it will be off the Jewish Ilam Habo. Every goy will feel an Ilam Habo of a Jew, right? Sort of like 10, Jew, ten non-Jews to one <coughs> Jew, and they are unique. They nourish off his Ilam Habo, but it's still Ilam Habo. Why? Because their job is to be righteous. This concept is a very important concept that Goyim have this job to be righteous. You see, not to be holy or godly. If they want, fine. You see. Anyway, <clears throat> that's a very important idea. But what God did is interesting. Wait a minute. Who's going to help them? So, by Judaism, it's Avram Avinu, right? It's the Avos, the patriarchs, right? It's Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And it's the uh, Torah. So, the, the Jews can look at this and be godly, holy, right? And get their Olam Haba. So, they have direction. And not only do they have direction, they have guidance. But the question is, wait a minute. If the Goyim have a new concept called righteousness, who's going to guide them and who's going to direct them? Interesting question. Can't leave them up on their own. So what God wants them to do, and, and that's part of their righteousness, is to assist the Jew. That's even more. If they assist the Jew in doing the tikkun, then the reward is even greater because that's the way they can contribute to the tikkun itself, which is interesting. <clears throat> but even if they only remain righteous, that is enough to get Oidim Haba. The question is, where's the guidance? And where's the direction? Very valid question. Because we know what ours is, like I said. You see, it's the great men and leaders of Klai Yisrael, of the Jewish people, and it is the Torah. And so the answer to that, which is very interesting, uh, is God is going to assign, this is very interesting, He's going to assign the job of leadership and the job of guidance to two people. Right. And they're going to split the world. Instead of 70 nations, 35 will be under the leadership of one person and the other 35 will be under the leadership of the other. Who are they? And the answer is, the son of Avram Avinu, Yishmael. That's really what his job is. And the other one is Esav, who is an actual patriarch. Where do we see this? It's incredible. Uh, that's really what their job is, you see, is to do this. So therefore we have to understand who these people are. Who is Yishmael? Who is Esav? Were they just accidents or whatever? So the idea to that, which is fascinating, let's take a look at Yishmael. 
Okay? But I want to tell you something, just as an introduction. Here's the problem. That both Yishmael, the son of Avram, and Esau, the son, the brother of Yaakov, right? Rejected their job. So, not only did they not offer direction and guidance to the nations of the world, which really is what they should have done, right? They rejected it. They rebelled. And they became animalistic or just barely civil. Forget about believing in God, you know, which we'll talk about. But they became, in many ways, uncivilized, almost animalistic. Not totally but certainly many ways uncivilized, as we will see from their history. But in any case, let's take a look. And therefore, there has been, through thousands of years, these two nations, or these two individuals who were supposed to lead the Goyim, each one to take 35 nations of the 70, 35 and 35, and lead them and direct them, but they didn't. It said they themselves rebelled and became evil. So that created something interesting. The fact that each of these nations, as we will see, okay, uh, Esau, that there's a good part of Esau and a bad part of Esau. And Yishmael, there's a good part of Yishmael and a bad part of Yishmael, which we will see, which is very interesting. Uh, You see, so what the Rabbanu is going to do, and I'm going to tell you this right up front, I'm not even going to have to wait till the end, you know. What the Rabbanu now wants to do is he wants Yishmael to do tshuva, but he wants to get rid of the bad part of Yishmael. And the second one, Esav, he wants Esav to do tshuva, and he wants to get rid of the bad part of Esav. That's really what we're watching, you see. Um, but there's a third idea also, which I have to tell you. There's also a bad part of the Jewish people, unfortunately, and that is called the era of Rav, where they want to destroy the bond, the contract that exists between God and the Jews. And God wants to get rid of them too, in the sense that they have to do tshuva. Three people... <clears throat> whose job is very distinct, right? We have the job of Yishmael, bad news, he rebelled, God wants to get rid of the bad part, and he does tshuva. Esau, right? He's a leader, he was supposed to have, as we will see, God wants to get rid of the bad part of Esau, the Rashab Esau, right? And as a result of that, he wants the Esau to do tshuva, and he wants to get rid of the ear of Rav, and he wants the ear of Rav to do tshuva, which means that this must happen before the Mashiach comes. We are now in the midst of that phase. Uh, that is a global view, but you now understand what all of this means, you see, uh, in terms of what is happening. Now, let's go further. Let me talk a little more about Yishmael. Shno, in many ways, it's a beautiful understanding of what's happening. Why there is Yishmael, right? Why there is Esau. Because the Rebbe took away the ability of Tikkun to do the, go, to the Goyim. 
So he provided them with a lower form of what? Of Avodah in that sense. So the Avodah, the work, the service of the Jew is to bring God back and to be holy, godly. The Avodah, the service of the Goy, is to be righteous, you see? And therefore all they have to observe is the Sheva Mitzvahs. Interesting. Anyway, let's take a look at Yishmael. <clears throat> There's a Chidor, famous person, Chaim Yosef Dovid Azulai. Okay, and he says something very interesting. I think it's in the Sefer Pnei Dovid. Uh, if you'll notice at the end of Chai Sora, they reckon out the descendants or the uh, uh, descendants or offspring of Yishmael. You notice that there are 12. That's interesting. Why 12? So he says, because Yishmuel has also a job of leadership, you see, and which is direction and also uh, guidance. And therefore, he has to have what's called the 12 tribes. In other words, he also is supposed to have nations that emanate from him ultimately, and that as a result, he needs also 12 tribes. It's amazing, <clears throat> you see, because Yishmuel is not just an average person. It's well interesting, thank God, that in the end, by Yitzchak, when Avram Avinu died, he let Yitzchak go first in terms of the burial, which means that he did tshuva. That's what Chazal tells us, you see. But Yishmuel, like I say, is not an average person. And that's why he had 12 tribes to replicate or to duplicate the Jewish people with the 12 tribes. And that's one of the reasons why also his milah, his circumcision, is a tremendous merit. You see, <clears throat> now what is also interesting, you know, is Avram Avinu says something. When the Roshim told him, you will have a child that will come from you, you know, so Avram Avinu, probably he's 100 years old and his wife is 90. Obviously, that's an, a physical impossibility. But for whatever reason, he didn't want to accept that totally. So he said, Lu Yishmo should live before you. Now, whatever that means, whether he believed in Bansham or whatever, I mean, obviously he believed him, but what does that mean? It means he wanted Yishmuel to do follow in his footsteps. What is the footsteps of Avram Avinu? To promote God, to observe the commandments of God, whatever he had without getting into that, and so on. So he said, let Yishmuel live before you. You know, I want him also to be involved in promoting you, which is my inheritance to him. This is my philosophy, my ideology. I want him to be involved. And the Bosham acceded to his request. Very important idea. So, therefore, what he made him, that repercussions is very interesting. He made him, certainly, he made him, or he continued, that he was a leader, that Yishmuel is now a leader to offer guidance and direction to whoever his descendants will be. And we know what Yishmuel became. He became the Arabs, the Muslims. Those are the descendants of Yishmuel, you see. And that's half the world. That's almost two billion people. So that truly is really what happened, if you think about that. But that's what Avram wanted. What is also interesting 
is that what that meant also is that Yishmoel should be able to take directly, to be yunik, to nourish the divine energy from God himself straight and not through any other intermediary, any other malach. That's what he said. So Yishmoel is the only other nation that can take, I once said this, that can take the direct energy, the divine energy from God directly based on his what? Based on his merits. He doesn't have to wait till the Jews sin, which is what Esav, the descendants of Esav have to wait, which I will talk in a minute. But Yishmoel said that. So therefore, that's tremendous. That based on his merits itself, he can take the direct energy, the divine flow, what's called the Shefa, straight from God. <clears throat> you see? So we're not looking here at somebody who's like the other 35 nations that he directs. He's the leader. Very important. In fact, you see that there's something special, right? Because Avraham Avinu took back, after Sarah Imenu died, he took back Ketura. Ketura, Rashi says, is Hagar. Clearly, why would he take her back? Because she's a righteous woman. In fact, Rashi says that her deeds were like Keturus, the incense, tremendous righteousness, and so on. So, obviously, he had an unusual mother. She wasn't an average person, certainly. <clears throat> now, there are people that are bothered by the concept of, well, the Torah, the Malach, actually, the angel, when Hagar ran away with Ishmael, or I should say she was chased away by Sarah. So the Malach describes his characteristic, which is very interesting. He tells Hagar to go back, fine. But he says that what will he be? So he will be a para-adam, a wild man. You see? So therefore people say, a wild man? What does that mean? Obviously that's evil. Uh, you see? But what para Adam really means is not that he will be a wild man. You see, <clears throat> the fact that he's called Adam is very good. Because the Gemara says that Omer Atem Kruyim Adam, you are called Adam man. Adam, but the nations of the world are not called Adam. What is Rab Shimon saying? Because uh, the only name that can, the only nation that can have the name Adam is a nation that is, can do the Tikkun. Because they have an Ishama that reaches into the spheres or the dimensions of spirituality, all of them. And they could take down the Koyach, the Shefa, the divine energy from those dimensions. You see? Therefore, they are called Adam man. Everybody else is called something else, right? Ish, man, gever, you see, whatever. <clears throat> but so, wait a minute, Yishmael is called para-odam. What does that reveal to us? <clears throat> so, para-odam means that that is not necessarily what he will become. What the Malach was saying is that ultimately, the Navua is that he will ultimately become a para-odam, a wild man. What level of behavior is that? It's interesting. And that is that he will not be an Adam, he will be uncivilized. Forget about being godly. He will be uncivilized because he's a wild man and a man, the highest level of that is to do what? Is to be holy and godly, bring God back, and he will be a wild man. You see, uh, why did 
Why, why will he be that? And the answer is because he himself has that Nisayim. Since you will be a leader, a guide, and direct the nations of the world, or 35 nations, as we will see, you will be wild. You will have that as an Nisayim. That's your characteristic because that's what you have to fight. And not only do you have to fight that, you have now to give that, to transmit that, the concept of what? Of righteousness to your 35 parts, nations. But what the Malach was saying, not that he, he was saying the Nevoa, and that did not disturb the free will of Yishmael, even though we don't understand, because if you're saying he's going to be a Peradam, a wild man, where's his free will? That's how we know that God can't make him be a wild man, where's his free will? God doesn't do that. You see, and the answer to that is God did not disturb his free will, but the angel who said that to Hogar was telling her that eventually he will turn out to be that way. So he was talking with talking about the angel was talking about with the knowledge of God of what will be even after the free will. But we know it does not disturb the free will. He didn't have to become a paradigm, uh, you see. But that's because he's a leader and that's his Taklas, that's his purpose. He has to go through that Nisayan in order to give it to who? To his 35 nations under him, which we will see. Very important idea, you see. And therefore, he has the capacity to be this type of person, which tragically, that's exactly what he became. That's the evil of Yishmael, <clears throat> you see. But this is his challenge. But his real job, like I said, is to lead and to guide those 35 nations under him. That's his challenge. <clears throat> you know where you see this interestingly illustrated? When God took away all of this from the Goyim, he took away the ability to do Tikkun, and he left them with another purpose, to be righteous, which is the Sheva Mitzvah, the seven Mitzvahs of Noach, right? And he took it away and so on he wanted to try to restore it right when when God was about to give the Torah there's a Medrash whatever that says that God went around to every nation in the world all 70 and offered them the Torah so they can't say well why did you offer us the Torah and each one rejected it you see in fact it says that he went to Yishmael and he says, I want to give the Torah to the Jews. I want to give it to you too, right? So they said, we don't want it because what does it say? That's what they asked them. So he says, Lay signal if you can't steal. Stealing, what do you mean? That's how we make our living. All right, theft. So they rejected it. Why did God do that? Same concept, you see. Because he wanted to restore the ability of Yishmuel to be involved in contributing to bringing God back. That's why. Because they, they used to have it in that sense. So he, he wanted Yishmuel to be restored to be able to do that. You see. So again we see, you know, that they had a chance to return to what they were born originally for, their original purpose and see. But what happened? They turned evil, like I said. You see, when they turned evil, it's interesting. What does it mean they turned evil? Well, listen, Yishmael chose to be evil, 
Why? Because he was very jealous of Yitzchak. He was 13 years older than Yitzchak, right? And he was very jealous. But what's interesting is what, what turned him against? What was his justification? So it's interesting that, uh, they, that they say, right, that Sarah Imenu, when God said to Avram Avinu that you will have a child and Sarah, so Sarah said, how can my husband have a child? He's 100 years old. He's too old. So that was a mistake. She should not have said that. Because if the Bransham is saying, Avram will have a child, of course he can have a child. There's nothing that's too difficult for God. So what that opened up is a flaw. And also the thought came into Yishmael's mind and said, wait a minute, who is the father, right, of Yitzchak? Now we know the story before where Avram Avinu went to Avimelech and he kidnapped Sarah, right? And until God punished him in his whole household, palace, right? And then he restored Sarah to stories in the Chumash, obviously, right? So the question is, wait a minute, did Avimelech live with Sarah? You know? So people doubt it. In fact, it says in the Medrash that people mocked Avram and they said, Yitzchak, right? What are you doing? You're making a whole thing for Yitzchak? You're not even his father. Avimelech is his father. You see? So the Medrash says that who is the one who mocked him? Yishmael. Uh, so Yishmael actually believed in a certain way then that Yitzchak the father of Yitzchak was Avimelech. If that's the case, wow, that means I'm the sole heir, heir of Avram Avinu. Not only that, right, I'm the main spiritual person that inherits him. You see, that was the flaw that developed into his mind to justify his jealousy. Uh, so therefore, what Yishmuel held, which is very interesting, Yishmuel held at least uh, for many many years that he was the only son of Avram Avinu not Yitzchak I Avram Avinu gave everything that he had right to, to Yitzchak so he held so what Yishmuel held is Yitzchak stole his identity that he is the real son of Avram Avinu not uh, Yitzchak uh, so therefore the Arabs believe and this is what their claim is, that they are the children of, of Abraham. You see, they actually believe that. And that's why, astonishingly, which is very interesting, there's a stone in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca, it's called the Kaaba. They worship that stone. And they hold that that stone is where the Akedah took place. Not only that, but they hold that the real Akedah took place, right, in Saudi Arabia. And who was on it? Yishmael. That's exactly what Yishmael thought. Right? They actually hold that. That's what makes them so dangerous. Because they have actually usurped the identity of the Jew. They believe that they are really the real son of Avram Avinu and should be the spiritual heir of Avram Avinu. It all comes from what happened then, <clears throat> in other words, they believe in many ways that Yitzchak is illegitimate. 
they are the true son, or uh, Yishmael is the true son of Avram Avino. But in the end, this is what the Arabs hold, uh, you see. And that's one of the reasons why, in many ways, they're very dangerous, because they hold that they are the Jews, which is different, by the way, than what Esav, or Christianity, holds. In any case, uh, so therefore they have become very evil, you see, <coughs> as a result of the fact that, well, Yishmael rejected them, and, you know, the, what, the, the tremendous jealousy. <coughs> but what's interesting is that, are they really leading mankind, or this? Yes, they are leading 35 nations, according to the, you know, the uh, spiritual uh, breakdown, and so on. And that is why, by the way, if you remember what I said, that the mission or the purpose of Yishmael is to do what? Is to guide, right? And to lead them, to direct them. Did you ever wonder why they have this concept called jihad? What is jihad? Jihad is the desire to influence mankind, to adapt their belief system. Where do they get that from? Because that was the original talent or the original purpose of Yishmael, to lead, right, to direct, and to guide 35 nations. So the whole Islamic world really is in the jihad. And that's what jihad is. It is a mission to try to influence the entire world, right? What? Basically, the teachings of Abraham, which Muhammad distorted. But without getting into that, uh, the teachings of Abraham what they call Allah, which is one God, because they are monotheistic. And that's what they do. They have spread the concept of monotheism, not paganism. They are violently against paganism. So they have brought the world, in a great sense, a great deal of the world, to monotheism, which is much closer to the belief of one God. You see... And they have adopted certain mitzvahs, whatever they are, charity and, and so on, you know. These are the teachings they hold of Abraham and so on, right? And, uh, and declaring God and praying. Prayer is one of their main things where they pray five times a day. So they have in many ways, you know, advanced the world in terms of the, the level of behavior. And that really was the original job of Yishmael. It's interesting how a great deal of what Yishmael did has been passed down, you see, uh, and, uh, and so on. <clears throat> and in a certain way, you know, are they assisting the Jews? Not really, but at least they allow the Jews to subsist in their lands, you see, because the, the Muslims, they're not interested in conversion. Like I said, why? Because they don't need the sins of the Jews to survive. What they want is the Jew to admit that they are the superior, and therefore the Jews are demis, right? Slaves or whatever. <clears throat> because they don't need the divine energy of the Jew from the sin of the Jew, which is what Esav needs, as we will see. So they don't care. They derive their divine energy straight from God, you see, because of whatever merits they have. And that was the prayer of, of Romavino. That's why Muslims don't really care about converting Jews. They want Jews just to admit that they are the superior race. And that's why, like I say, they call them demis and so on. <clears throat> but that's changing, you see. 
What are we witnessing? That there is a true movement going on among Yishmael, the Muslims. Abraham Accords, which was done by Trump, which is amazing. For the first time in history, you should know, Saudi Arabia, in many ways, realizes that if they join with Israel in advancing their civilization, they and Israel will become the greatest nations in the Middle East. That's tshuva, because they're no longer looking to destroy Israel, to kill them. But they have to play along with other Arabs, and so on. But Saudi Arabia is the essential Muslim, is the essential Yishmaelite, you see. And they are actually getting closer and closer to uh, the, uh, uh, the whole concept of doing tshuva. And that will come down the road, and so on, eventually, certainly when the Mashiach comes. But they someday will join with the Jews. Well, we now take a look at Yishmael at a whole different light, you see. So what God is now doing with Hamas is destroying Hamas. How? Because he got them to commit an incredibly ridiculous act. You know, uh, not only that, you want to mutilate people. So how can you videotape this and spread it around the world? Of course they're going to come out against you. What kind of nonsense is that? You know, it's like I think it was Abba Iban that said, well, the Arabs, the Muslims, the Arabs, I think he said the Arabs, never fail to shoot themselves in the leg. We want to do this, do it, whatever, of course. Not that you should do it, but if you're going to do this, this uncivilized sub-animal, then don't advertise to the world because of course you're going to turn around the world. But that just shows you, you know, uh, that uh, what they're capable of and so on, you know. It's interesting that since Yishmuel came from Abraham, Avram, then his midah is chesed, you see, without getting into it, because Avram Avinu was unbelievable in kindness and giving things, good things to others. He cared about others and so on, you know. So when they become a para-adam, which is the opposite of an adam, then what is the opposite of chesed? Cruelty. So therefore, that's why they're so cruel. Because they take the chesed that they get from Avraham Avinu, that characteristic, and they become incredibly cruel. That's where their cruelty comes from. Because it's an incredible distortion, uh, turnaround of chesed. That's what cruelty really is, and so on. Okay, very interesting. We now understand uh, many, many ideas uh, who Yishmael is and what's happening in the Middle East. It's really in many ways the attempt to change, to get rid of the bad part of Yishmael and to allow the good part, the Abraham Accords, to continue. In any case, so I, I hope that I've uh, sort of like clarified the position of Yishmael and what is happening in the Middle East, you see. And uh, what I'd like to do is talk about the th second partner, and he's in charge of 35 nations, as I said, which I will show you. Uh, but uh, I'm going to do that next week and conclude with what the global view of what the Rabbanisham is doing. And all I can say is that hopefully this will, uh, you know, bring in the whole concept that we are literally at the, the doorstep of the, uh, the Mashiach himself. Thank you.